Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Would you bow your heart with me? Lord, we are really thankful for your word and for your spirit. And we pray now that your spirit would speak to us through your word this morning. We pray for your outpouring of grace upon us and your mercy as we hear your word and and listen to your truths. Lord, we want to lift up those in need to you also this morning. We pray for Jim Larita struggling in the hospital with loss of blood. We pray you'd touch him and heal him. Pray for his wife, Deb. And we pray for Bob Voorhees as he's just battling still with cancer and, and now with his wife being sick and struggling, Lord, I pray for Karen. Lord, just touch them, Lord, we pray. We lift up Rich Arsenal before you in the hospital, in the nurse, the, the extended care, Lord. We pray you'd heal him from this stroke and touch him. Pray for Mike as he speaks in Newark this morning. Bless his words and use him mightily with the people there. And bless our time, Lord, around your, your word and around your table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God is very patient. He sent his son at the fullness of time or at exactly the right time. We are not so patient. Have you noticed? I was reading about Jello. You say, Jello. Did you know it's the 125th anniversary of the creation of Jello in 2022? That's exciting. <laughs> how was Jello? I was thinking about it and I, I was reading that. How was Jello invented? Who made Jello? Well, a man in 1897, a man named Pearl Waite, W A I T. He was a salesman of such, a a construction worker who dabbled in medicines and door-to-door sales, and he came across this recipe for Jell-O, and he added some fruit flavoring to it and discovered that it was pretty tasty. So he decided to start putting this out to sell to his friends, and his wife is the one who named it Jell-O. But it wasn't very successful for Mr. Waite. So he sold his rights to a man named Woodward 
for $450. Woodward got quite a bargain, and he saw the value and began to develop it. And he turned that $450 investment into a million-dollar business, ultimately took that business and merged it with Postum Cereal, and they became General Foods. The moral of the story? Not a single relative of Pearl Waite receives one penny from this business. Why? Because Waite just couldn't wait. That's a good one, right? Anyway, I saw that about patience, and I thought that's very interesting. Patience. Patience can be very rewarding. God is very patient. He waited until the fullness of time. The fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God's perfect time. And in this Christmas season, as I was praying about what to share in the beginning of the Christmas season, this verse came to mind. That in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Think about this for a moment. God sent his son. This speaks of his deity. The God of the universe sent his son. God the son into this world. It's so powerful when you really think about it. You meditate on it. He had sent the prophets. He had sent the messengers. But now... At that perfect time, when Christ was born, he sent his son. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Remember, Jesus didn't come, when when Jesus was born, he didn't, that wasn't the beginning of his existence. He was pre-existent. He he was in the ages past. He was a creator of the world, and he came. And who being in the brightness of his glory, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's the gospel. It's so powerful. And in this text today, the apostle Paul makes this powerful declaration. And he actually is talking in terms of what what is they're facing legalism in their world. And they're facing this, this, these Judaizers who are following Paul around and trying to to destroy the gospel of grace that he is preaching. And so in this section, Paul goes into these things on freedom and how you are free. You You can experience an incredible freedom as you trust in God. And as you come, as we come to this season and we're thinking about Christmas, I think it's so important that we Prepare our hearts for Christmas. 
prepare our, our lives for what it really means. It's, it, it's so commercial, is it not? And, and, you know, I mean, the commercialism of Christmas just is. It just is what it is, I kind of like to say. And, and yet, we have the choice to begin this season as Thanksgiving finishes. As soon as you finish that last bite of turkey, it's like the Christmas music has to come on, right? <laughs> and and as, as you begin this season, to, to really focus this year. And that's not an accusation that you haven't done that. But it's an admonition that you would do it. Again, if you've done it. And if you haven't done it, that you would do it this year. It's so powerful. Jesus spoke of this very thing in the parables to the tenants when he, when he told the vineyard, he spoke of the vineyard workers rejecting the servants and then rejecting the son. And then he said the, the, the Jewish, to the Jewish leaders or about the Jewish leaders, the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. You see, this is the message. It's not all about the babe in the manger. It's about the savior of the world. And Paul says he sent his only son. It's the picture that we see throughout scripture. It goes all the way back to Genesis at the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter three and the picture of the sacrifice of Abraham with his son Isaac and it's God's plan. God sent his son. What time was this when God sent his son? Well, Paul illustrates this by talking about a human father and how the time of the child, when he was a child, he was like a slave, but then when he came of age, he would become an heir or a son. And you move from slave, slavery to sonship. And he says, in that fullness of time, God chose to send Christ. It was a time in the Roman civilization where the Pax Romana had taken place, there was great peace in the world, not because God brought peace, but because Rome bludgeoned the world into peace. And there was a road system, and there was lighting on the roads, and, and there was, uh, it was a safer place during this time. And so the, the gospel could go forth. There was a, 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 an adopted language. The Grecian language had become, you know, Koine Greek was the language of the world, of the day. And, and so there were all these wonderful things about God sending his son during this time. The, the law had been given 1,300 years earlier. And, and so it was a time when monotheism was, was growing and developing. The law had done its work, preparing people for Christ. It was the perfect time. when the gospel could go forth. But wouldn't now seem like even a better time in some ways? I was thinking about this. I thought, well, with CNN and world news and, and all the communications we have and, 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 and Facebook. I mean, after all, Jesus would have the most followers on Facebook, wouldn't he? And Twitter and all the communication abilities, everything that's going on in the world, wouldn't this be the best time for Jesus to have come? And so we can examine that all from a worldly standpoint, the, the time of the Pax Romana, or now, or this time, or that time. But the bottom line is, it was the time that God chose. I mean, that's really the key thing. 
By the way, does Jesus need Facebook? What did we ever do without these things? You ever wonder about that? Some of you young people, you have no idea. We actually didn't have cell phones when we were kids. My first cell phone was in a big bag. I used to carry it around. You guys remember that? We used to watch sci-fi movies with those things in their hands and think, are we ever going to have that? And now we do. His timing is perfect. God waited for his perfect timing. Maybe you're waiting for something today. And your patience is growing weary. Remember, Mr. Wait. Don't be like wait. But wait. (laughs) Until the fullness of time. Until God sends forth his son, in a sense, into your situation. Maybe you're in that situation where you really need the Lord to show up. And you're waiting. Lord, when's it coming? What's happening? My patience is growing thin. Well, the good news is that he'll come at the perfect time. And the time was, he he came at this perfect time, and Jesus was born of a woman, we're told. This speaks of two things. It speaks of his humanity, and it speaks of the virgin birth. Now, we're not going to spend time this morning defending the virgin birth and getting into that today. But I'll just tell you, the virgin birth is a fact. And it's clearly taught in Scripture. Now, you can debate if you choose to whether you want to believe in the virgin birth, but you really can't debate that it's, that it's not in the Word of God. Like, you can't argue and say, well, no, the Bible doesn't teach the virgin birth. It does teach the virgin birth, clearly. And I'm not going to go through the Scriptures, but just one in Isaiah where it says, and he shall be with child, the, vir- the, the, the virgin shall give birth, clearly. And so you can debate it, I'm not going to debate it today. I'm sure during Christmas season, Pastor Michael hit on this. If he doesn't, you can call him on the carpet for it. But he was born of a woman. He was born under the law. Jesus was born under the law. And what this is talking about is that the law had been in existence for 1,300 years. And so Jesus came at a time when the law of God was ruling in many ways, at least within Israel, within the Middle East. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth would come through Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. No one ever fulfilled the law, but now here comes Jesus. He fulfills the law completely by living the perfect life. He was without sin, and he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. So He was born under the law. Who else is born under the law? Well, let me say to you, every human being is born under the law. Do you realize that you, if you don't know the Lord, you are under the law, whether you know it or not? You can choose to ignore the law. You can choose to to say the law doesn't apply to your life, but it doesn't mean you're not under the law. We're all under the law, Both civilly, we're under the law. I mean, you can drive 100 miles an hour and say, well, I'm not subject to that law. But if the police stops you, you're going to be subject to the law. Every human being is subject to the law. So you need a redeemer. 
Notice verse 5, it says, He came to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Why did he come? Redemption. Redemption. To redeem all mankind. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need redemption. What is redemption? Well, it's actually a word that implies helplessness. <coughs> Excuse me. The picture of redemption is one of being held captive by forces that cannot be overcome or that you can't control. And do you realize that you, before you knew Christ, you were held captive, you were in bondage to sin and death, that the sentence on your life was death. There was no choice. <clears throat> and so re redemption never comes by our own efforts spiritually. You cannot redeem yourself. It, it, it speaks of an outside force. Has to be an outside force. There has to be a redeemer. And it's a precious word when you think about it, that, that redemption is a word that, that says he bought you. He bought you out of sin and death. He bought you out of bondage. He bought you out of slavery. The idea is to be bought out of a bad situation. And this is the reason that Jesus came. He didn't come to be a babe in the manger. Do you know today that you need redemption? Have you received redemption? If you're here visiting today, or maybe you've been coming to this church for a long time, but you've never been redeemed, your life, you still are living totally separated from God. God wants to redeem you today. And, and, and if you know him, God wants you to embrace your redemption today. To know that you're redeemed, to walk in that redemption, to experience it in your heart. There's some precious words in this passage that we're looking at today. If you're born again, you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you. He paid your ransom. He paid your debt. And your debt is that you've sinned, and, and it's too great a debt. That's the picture he's giving of the child. The child can't help himself. The child can't make himself into an heir. Only the father can make him an heir. And only our father could make us an heir to Christ, in Christ. Only our father could redeem us in Christ by sending Christ. Only Christ could be our redemption. There's no other. This is why trying to get to the Lord in any other religious manner is totally ridiculous. It makes no sense because God sent his son. If God made the decision to send his son to die on the cross for your sins and my sins, why would we think we could do anything to gain it? Right? God, in his love for you, sent Christ to pay your debt to him and substitute his life for your life. He took our place. Man, I needed him to take my place. I was lost. He says there, 
I say then an heir, as long as he's a child, doesn't differ from a slave, though he's the master of all, but is under the guardians and stewards. And so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Paul is using this illustration <coughs> of a child in the Roman world who hadn't yet come of age. And as children, we're just like slaves. That's what he's saying. And we were slaves in bondage. And maybe some of you even today are still in bondage. God wants to set you free today. And he will. You've been studying through Ephesians. And in Ephesians 2, Paul makes the case. He says, you, you, you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Have you ever seen a dead person do something for themselves? They're just dead. They can't do anything. I've been to many funerals. I've never seen a body sit up. You've never experienced that? Now, of course, Jesus raised people from the dead and did those things in those days, but I haven't seen it. Maybe it happens today. I've heard about those kinds of things, but the point is, he's making an illustration here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. A dead person can't help themselves. And you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You didn't have any control. And the spirit who works on the sons of disobedience among also whom you conducted yourself in the lust of the flesh. This is what we did. We lived in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. We were under the wrath of God. And the only thing that could pay the price for the, for the, 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 to satisfy the wrath of God is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's called propitiation. You've heard me use the term before. Propitiation. It's the substitutionary sacrifice. It's the satisfactory substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. He is my propitiation. And, and Ephesians goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been, your life has been turned around. You were a slave, but God, in his perfect timing, sent forth his son. I remember the day that he called me out of this world. I remember the day when I finally submitted and said, yes, Lord. And the blessings of this passage are here, that we're redeemed, we're adopted, we're going to talk about, the, how the Holy Spirit lives inside us, and, and how we call God our Father, and how we're God's children, how we're heirs of God. That's what this passage is speaking of. And so we move on to the topic of adoption. You've been adopted. Now, in the Roman Empire... There were people, there were basically two classes of people. You were either a slave or you were free. And, and that was the legal fabric of the Roman world. Slavery wasn't based on race. Anyone could be a slave or not a slave. It just depended on your situation. And a slave could be set free and were set free at times. <coughs> And the picture he's giving is being adopted out of slavery is the idea. Adoption is about rescuing children who are in terrible situations, right? And so God's using this metaphor to remind us 
that you've been lifted out of a dark situation. That's the picture. And are you, are you not grateful? I mean, talk about Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God that you've been lifted out of a dark situation. You were in darkness. You were in the world. You were dead. You were lost. You were a loser. You were, well, I don't want to keep insulting you, but you get the idea. <laughs> but I was too, by the way. Not just you. <laughs> we were. But because of his mercy, not because of our merit, but because of his mercy, he's changed our status. He's taken us from slavery to sonship or daughtership if you happen to be a female. If you don't know the Lord, that's, that's where it's at. You need to come and see what he's done for you and experience that. Experience the adopted. Have you been adopted into the family? If not, get adopted. He's inviting you into adoption today. If you're a believer, let's, let's meditate on our adoption a little bit this morning. Let's consider this Christmas season that when he came, he didn't come just to be in a manger, but he came so that you could be adopted into the family of God and become a son or a daughter of God. And, and it really helps with your identity in Christ. You know, many times we think we're what, what we make in dollars. Or we think we're what we do to perform. Or how well known we are. <laughs> in today's world, of course, it's how many friends do you have? Social media friends. I don't know why they call it social media. It's not social. It should be called anti-social media. And by the way, this is an aside. Have you noticed that people, and I've said this before, but they'll say things on Facebook they would never say. Or on Twitter, they'll say things. Like, I'm just amazed by that. Like they'll just throw up on you. That was free. That had nothing to do with today. It just, I just came out. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not where I'm from. I'm not how I perform. I'm not what I make in dollars. I am a child of God. And that makes you my brother and my sister, by the way. I preached a few weeks ago at Hope Cathedral. And they have a different culture over there. It's, um, it's Pastor Trevon, he's a real large black fellow, and his whole family kind of runs the church, and it was really a trip because they call everybody brother or sister or mother. They call my wife Mother Marion. She was like... <laughs> but that's, what the, that's their culture, and it was kind of cool. It was really kind of cool. And let me tell you something. We could definitely learn something when it comes to worship, like, those people, they worship like they're off the hook. They, I mean, and singing and dancing. I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not the pastor anymore. You want to dance? Go ahead. <laughs> 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 
It was great. It was so great. We could not stop smiling in this place a few weeks ago. It was, it was such a, it was a great privilege, by the way. I was asked to speak there for their 20-year anniversary. And it was just a tremendous privilege to be joined with these guys and the oneness of the body of Christ. But the worship was great. It was just, and they can sing, man. The one person had a better voice than the next person. Then the pastor got up and started singing. It was like, <laughs> he should be the worship leader. He was great. We need remedial clapping classes. Have you noticed? <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like we, really, somebody starts clapping up here and they're going, and then we're off time. <laughs> Lord help us. I, I don't know where this is coming from. I'm sorry. If you're a believer, you've been adopted into the family. And the family is diverse, and the family is wonderful. And if we've experienced this grace, we need to then display this grace to others. We need to live this way. We should be motivated to live a life of compassion and hospitality and generosity. A life caring about orphans and widows because you've been adopted. You should care about that. We should care about that. The stranger and the broken. You know, the, the, the doctrine of adoption should not be something that's just some abstract idea, but it should actually be part of our life and should spill over in the way we treat one another. That we've been adopted into the family, that means you're my brother, you're my sister. We need to treat one another as brothers and sisters. And by the way, it doesn't mean we don't have our differences. I grew up in a family of six brothers and sisters. And we had differences. But we're committed to each other. We loved each other. And, and there's a dedication, right? It's a wonderful thing. Because here's the thing. Adoption indicates choice. Just like adoption, God chose you. Before the foundations of the world... He chose you. He loved you, and he chose you. He chose you while you were still a sinner. <laughs> I mean, would you choose you? One guy said, I'm glad he chose me. I forget what he said. Anyway. <laughs> it's a quote I used to know. As I get older, I lose the quotes. He chose you with all your flaws. When you adopt a child, if you know people that have done this, you take them with their flaws. You don't take a child and adopt them and immediately say, okay, I don't like you this way. You've got to change. No, you take them as they are. He makes us sons of God, children of God. And we have the spirit of adoption, the spirit given into our hearts, and we cry out, Abba, Father. 
I was at the Chosen movie this past week. Some of you, how many of you guys went to the Chosen movie in the last week or so? If you haven't gone, it's, it's always worth going and seeing, though I think it's not going to be in the theater much longer, but um, the one scene that struck me the most in the movie, they, they depict Matthew, and they show you the pre-time of Matthew when he leaves his home, when he becomes a tax collector, and he's shunned by his family, his father and his mother. His father says, you're not my son. But then when Matthew comes to the Lord and he hears the sermon by Jesus about being reconciled to your family and going, laying your gift at the altar and going, being reconciled, he goes back to his mother and his father. And his father comes to the door and he says, son. And then he comes in and they talk and they forgive each other and they, they have this conversation. And he turns to his mother and he calls, him, calls her Ima. And then he turns to his father, and he says, Abba. His father calls him son. And I was so struck with the reconciliation we have in God. That, you know, when I was a kid, God was so far off. You know, and if you had a bad relationship with your own father, you maybe didn't even call him daddy. You understand that maybe better than I do. If you have that relationship. But, but when we, we come to the Lord, we come to the Father, we become believers then we're able to cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, Pop, Poppy. My grandkids call me Poppy. Let me tell you, they call me Poppy, they can have anything they want. It, I mean, just, if you're talking to me, by the way, here, and one of my grandkids comes in, I can't hear what you're saying. I completely disconnect, I lose it, and I go, and I just want to hug them. Last night I was with my one two-year-old granddaughter, Emmy, and just tick she's the best little tickle ball. She's so fun. And she says, Poppy, tickle me, tickle me. And I'm like, okay, how long do you want me to do this? <laughs> but that's the relationship, you see. The intimacy. Do you realize that God wants an intimate relationship with all of us? A poppy relationship, Abba Father. What a privilege. You see, in their culture, they didn't even use these words. When Jesus gave, this, gave, the, uh, gave the new way to pray and said, our Father, it blew the minds of the Jewish people to call him Father. They didn't even write his name. To this day, they don't write his name. If you start conversing with a Messianic Jew, or, or excuse me, with a Hasidic Jew or an Orthodox Jew, they will not write his name. They'll, they'll put G-D, underscore dash. They won't say it. Whether it's Yahweh, Jehovah, they will not say the name because in their view it's so holy and so far away. But you see, he has brought him near. Jesus made him near. Jesus gave you the ability to say, Abba, faith in God can do what the law could not do. Jesus makes sons, and his righteousness makes us heirs. Intimacy. 
The law of Moses could not say, Abba, Father. But you and I, in relationship with him, can say, Abba, Father. The spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit of God, comes into your life and gives you that. We are partakers in this adoption. And God had a choice and he didn't pass you by. He saw you. And he said, I want that one. I want this one. And isn't that a great mystery? Like, he looked at you and said, I want you. Would you, as I said before, would you choose you? I wouldn't have chose me. But he put his spirit into our hearts. By the way, some people say, well, you don't pray to ask Jesus into your heart. Here it is, right here. It says his spirit comes into your heart. We cry, Abba, because he is our father, and we no longer are a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir. What is it to be an heir? (laughs) It just gets better and better, doesn't it? I mean, not only are we sons, but like that prodigal who comes home, when he comes home, the father doesn't say, oh, well, you know, I'll let you be a slave. He's coming home as a slave. But the father says, no, 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 no. You're my son, and not only are you my son, but you're my heir. And even though I already gave you half your inheritance, I'm going to give you more. And that's what God does. He just keeps giving you more, right? What does it mean to be an heir? You know, if you're an heir and your inheritance is 50 bucks, you don't get too excited about it, do you? You know, I remember when my mom passed away and we were going through all the the stuff. And my mom didn't have much left when she passed away. She'd been in a assisted living for quite a while and we'd pretty much gone through most of her money. And and uh and you know, here you know we are with you know all the stuff you gotta go through. So she had a coin box and I was going through these coins and I'm looking and I, and I'm looking on the internet at every coin, you know, trying to see maybe there's a you know something special in here. And I find this penny, and it's an Indian head Canadian penny. And it's got a little black dot on it. And I'm going through the internet, and it says that it's worth the last one sold for $450,000. And I'm like, yes, mom! (laughs) I know you didn't know it, but praise the Lord here. And also, I'm not telling my sisters yet. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And then I rubbed the penny, and the little black dot came off. It was worth about 10 bucks. (laughs) I thought I had it for a minute. But do you realize your inheritance in Christ, there's no black mark that's going to get rubbed off? The... You're wealthy beyond your expectations. And I was thinking of this in relationship to how he talks about Paul. Paul talks about Abraham. And in Romans 4 and also in Galatians, he touches on this. He says, Abraham believed God and it was 
accounted to him as righteousness, or that word is imputed. It's the idea that, that it was placed into his account. The righteousness was put into the account. That before that, Abraham was bankrupt. And this would be like, you know, if you're broke, like most of us are, especially Christmas time, you're spending more money, and you, you look in your account, and you got $3.80, and then the next day, all of a sudden, you know, somebody drops a billion dollars in your bank account. You're just like, whoa, that's what this is. You cannot spend the riches that God has given you. Ephesians 1 talks about the blessings in Christ, that you've experienced every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this is what we have. Your heirs, you have it all because you are a child of God. Joint heirs. Now, this is a great picture because you don't, you're not just an heir like you get a little piece of something, but you're a joint heir with Christ. In other words, you have the same thing as Christ has. What does that mean? I received the promises of God, but I received the love that Christ received. Jesus talked about this in John 17, that, that, that we might love the Father like he loved us, that love relationship would be complete, and that we would receive the love of the Father that he has given us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the sons of God. And we're not just sons, but we're heirs. And so the goodness that's in Christ, the righteousness that's in Christ, the glory that he will receive, the family we have, we're debtors in the flesh, but we have a life of promise and of resurrection and the spirit of adoption so we can cry out, but Father. So today, in preparing for Christmas this year, Remember that God's timing is perfect, right? And, and that he has done a great work to redeem you and his great work of redemption is in you and he calls you to a deep relationship with him and he's given you all that you need. So focus on him this season, amen? Don't worry about the gifts you're gonna get or even the gifts you give. Those are fine but focus on the greatest gift, Jesus Christ. Amen?